Hello and welcome to Healing From Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, Reiki master, energy practitioner, medium, author of A New Life Awaits, spirit-guided insights to support global awakening, which shares a metaphysical view of the duality of energetic and physical life and ways to understand the challenging, fast-moving changes of these present-day experiences that are happening as we seek to know who we are balance ourselves and our planet and reach an awareness of higher consciousness. We are not having a political, social, religious, or economic problem, simply a separation from our spiritual connectedness to universal life forces. And today I am most happy to welcome Margaret Thompson, author of Finding Color in Darkness, a story of the devastating results of mental health disorder and the loss of her son, John Fish. Hello, Margaret, and thank you for joining us today to share how the loss of John has perhaps taken you to a new awareness of the health challenge he faced and, of course, for even greater love for him and others. Margaret, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so glad you're here. Margaret, as listeners of Healing From Within are well aware My guests and I share intimate stories and insights into the deeper parts of our remembrances that we are spiritual beings having a physical life and are so much more than our physical bodies and that indeed we all, each and everyone on this planet, 8 billion people, possess within a wisdom that encourages us to dream, learn, and seek joy and happiness beyond all the challenges a physical world presents to us. Self-investigation and suffering sometimes leads to understanding our emotions and if we have enough time to truly appreciate life. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Margaret shares a very truthful account of how hard it is to live with a child that has a mental challenge, in John's case, bipolar disorder, and up and down sorrow and battle uh, with sorrow and pain. She also shares quite a bit of information on how to help your child and where to go for help. Margaret, I always love to begin each show by asking my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person place, an event perhaps, that may have shown them the life they would pursue as an adult and what might motivate their work, their interests, their family life. Uh, We might also like to remember a moment of John's childhood that was most reflected of his sensitivities. For I feel the soul comes into this life with a plan and destiny. And while some have greater challenges than other souls, the challenges lead to the refinement of their soul energy and greater love. And beyond this place, they are healthy. Their soul doesn't have the challenge that they have had in this life. So think back to your own childhood and maybe to John's. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very good question. You know, I I don't think I think of any one particular moment, but I do, I can recall that as a child and it's carried with me throughout my life and I know John felt the same, is that to me what made life meaningful was the connections that we can share and is the connections that we can share 
with others and finding that that special unique um, treasure in each person and being with people who are either superficial or who who would focus on small talk was something that even as a child kind of um, alienated me or made me feel not included because I didn't really feel that that was what I wanted to know about a person. I wanted to know more about how they felt about things. Mm. And and John was exactly the same way. And it's interesting because um, when I became a French teacher, I started to teach the, the little prince or le petit prince, as we call it in French. And it's a wonderful story. And when I, I when I was in high school, when my teacher, French teacher, had us read it, she never explained some of the metaphors. So I thought it was a very strange book. But then as I began to read it as a teacher and look at it with a new lens and understand it and, and really explore those metaphors, it became profoundly beautiful to me, and I would explain them to my students. And I used to teach it in the junior year of, of high school and then switched it to the second half of the sophomore year. And it made a big difference developmentally for where the kids were at, and it changed so many kids' perspectives. And they said, thank you so much for reading this because we were so stressed about school and worried about this, that, and the other thing. And now we realize what is really meaningful in life is love, and it is the connections that we have with one another and that we have to nurture those connections. And those are what nurture our soul. A food will nurture our bodies, but we need love to nurture our soul. And I think that when people can't find that deep, profound connection yeah. with another, that that's what makes them feel lost. And, and having depression certainly you well, know, adds to that. You know, Margaret, I always have coincidences or synchronicity with my guests. And uh, I was in Dubrovnik, Croatia, Mm-hmm. on a cruise, and I almost missed getting back to the boat because I was in a bookstore, and I saw this little book, The Little Prince, uh-huh. tiny little book, and I gave her my money. I, I said, do I have enough for the... And she, or I gave her the money, and she handed me the book. Maybe mm-hmm. that's how it happened. It was quite a while ago. And I read that story, and I mentioned that story in my new book, A New Life Awaits, Spirit-Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening. Mm. And uh, you helped your students, your young students, very much by sharing that, because I didn't find that book till I was much older and when this spiritual journey started for me. I wish I would have found it earlier. I might have understood certain um, events in my life and other people's lives in a different light and perspective. Uh, but uh, thank you for mentioning that because, see, we have that coincidence and there are no coincidences. We are being guided by right. spirit and brought together to open our hearts and our minds to the love that they share with us from spirit because yeah. they're learning with us. They're not... Heaven is not over there. It's not like a rocket ship away ride. Heaven mm-hmm. is around us. The energy is with us. It interacts yeah. at all times with us, and it's not a faraway journey. But you wrote this. Uh, you wrote this about John. As a child, John was very attached to me and loved to snuggle and hold my hand. As I grew older, he would often introduce me to new music. I worked in the NTV news department shortly after graduating from college and at a local radio station as an intern during college. So we shared a passion for music, particularly alternative music. We did art projects together, cooked together, watched shows, movies. And when John was in middle school, he got me hooked on Grey's Anatomy (laughs) and would insist I sit next to him on the couch and watch it with him every Sunday night. 
we were so close. We were so close. And that's a gift, no matter how long or short, a connection soul of soul to soul. We're all soul connected. You know, yes. we're, we're all sort of soul mates, but some are just so magnificently uh, opening to our mind and hearts uh, that that was very powerful for me to read. I am glad mm-hmm. you had that connection with him. It, it yes. was a very <laughs> beautiful connection. Yeah. So let's go on to tell us something of your family life and how you noticed that John was suffering from depression and when he was diagnosed, and perhaps how you tried to handle all this, I I wanted to say something else to you. You know, my family, there has been, um, what, let's say, special needs children. In the old days, they used to call it retarded. Oh, yeah. And I, I have a sister who has had the challenges your son had, and she's mm-hmm. still alive and suffered. You know, it's hard, it's hard uh, to do what's always right because... She doesn't always accept, um, how can I say, she, her choices are not always good. Right, right. And it's very challenging when you're talking from <clears throat> a logical mindset and, and they cannot receive it. So, right, so right. every family has this. And uh, I have over the course of my Reiki, being a Reiki practitioner and dealing with many people's issues, I have not found anyone who is not on some level um, dealing with something challenging. Yeah, someone in their family somewhere, right. they know someone has right. depression. Yeah. Right. So tell yeah. us something. Um, well, it was interesting because I uh, I think, you know, he. I do think that we come into each other's lives to teach one another uh, things about our experiences, things that we have to learn here. And as you know, they call this earth school. Um, so... I think for me, my challenge was that um, uh, John and I do share at times, or did and still do, I suppose, but he, he's in a better place now, um, the loneliness that because of talking about that connection that sometimes um, the connections for me, I've made a lot of connections, but I, I don't have a partner and um, my relationships were never sustain- sustainable, usually because I was too giving to, to the person I was with and so it's left me feeling lonely, you know, not having that that special someone. And and John was, although my son, he was as close to my person as anybody ever came because we we understood each other so well. Except that because I was such a positive person, he I could, it was hard for me to understand that he had something that was um, physically wrong with him. And I did not accept at the time mental illness as a physical illness. I thought it was. I thought happiness was a choice, and it's something I'm I'm very ashamed to admit now because people who are positive, who don't suffer from mental health illness, can be can choose to be happy. But we can set our intentions for the next day. But if you have a, a mental health illness, you can't well, not choose to be happy. You know, and Margaret. Let me stop you for a minute before I forget my train of thought. Uh, yes, it is a choice. Uh, but it was John's choice of the soul that he brought into this life. So it was something you you have to um, accept. Uh, it was his choice. Okay. Well, I, I did. And, you, you cut out for a bit during that, so I didn't. I missed a bit of the question, but I think I or the statement, but I think I got the essence. But I think doing the research um, from people who have had depression and seen 
um, MRIs um, and scans, brain scans of people who suffer from clinical depression, they have parts of the brain that are lit up but not connected with neurotransmitters. Mm. And when, certain treatments, um, some of them are controversial, but they're they're being conducted at John Hopkins University and McLean's um, Hospital in, in Massachusetts and and, UMA, and Mass General rather. And they show with tr- these treatments, the neurotransmitters will then highlight between the different sections of the brain. So it actually is a a medical condition. Of course, that, yes. Right, and yeah, people will wake up. But I, I, agree, I agree with condition. you. With the, coming into this world, that we we choose our unknowingly, we choose our who we're going to be with and um, what we need. But but um, in his physical form, he would after reading about it after he passed or uh, transitioned, I understood that he would wake up and there would just be this fog and this heaviness mm. that you you can't just snap your fingers and you know, I'm going to be happy. It it does not work that way. No, and no. So it it's a it's just a heavy weight that you don't know how long it will last. Happiness perhaps is a choice when uh, you're healthy and uh, you're you're able to make that choice. But when you have an issue, you know, you wrote depression is the invisible. You always believed that happiness was a choice and that a positive attitude coupled with healthy diet and. Uh, proper exercise, regular schedule, and enough sleep could cure any emotional or physical pain. But Mm -hmm. now we understand uh, that there are some illnesses that can be managed, some some to a better effect than others, and some not as well. But I I equate this mostly um, as a soul need to live a certain way in this time and place so when they go beyond this time and place they are free of that and probably never have to even be bothered with it again in another time of life Mm -hmm. not everybody accepts that thought but you also talk about clinical depression as a medical illness and you just described some of the problems um, with the neurotrans and maybe that's why he was so attracted to the show that you used to watch, the medical show. Because mm-hmm. maybe yeah, on some level he wanted to find a way to to resolve and help himself be beyond it and be happy as you wanted for him. So uh, it's very interesting. Uh, but yeah. let's go on to many young men have challenges and they have um problems during their teenage years when so much is expected of them and their brains are not fully developed till around the age of 25. Uh, can you tell us what happened uh, when John was expelled in his freshman year of high, high school and how damaging that of, event was, uh, which may have added more to uh, a developing uh, medical issue? Because I think the school's and parents and everyone have to be more sensitive to mm-hmm. to what we allow to happen and how it happens. So please tell us something about that. Yeah, sure. He'd, he'd made um, you know bad choice, obviously, to take in. Um, he had three little bags of marijuana that were each about twenty dollars and uh, worth of marijuana, and his friends wanted him to bring them some. He wasn't making any money in this silly transaction, but his brother, who was in college had been home and I, I didn't realize this was going on but he he got this from his his brother and his friends and they um and he took it into his John took it into his friends who were all freshman boys 
And he also carried with him at school, and I had no idea he didn't do this, but it was a hunting knife that he'd gotten at his camp, the summer camp that he loved. And apparently, I've been told since that a lot of boys carry knives to schools and schools where they're not, you know, where they don't have a metal detector at least, um, but they're not used as weapons. They're thick, wide knives so that they're legal knives, but, but of course, you can't have knives in school. So it just, it looked really bad. He got caught, somebody told on him, and he got caught, and he was very compliant, and, and they really liked him because he'd been a, a good student and very polite and good to all the other kids that were there, and he always was known for helping other kids. So um, the the principal really wanted him to be to stay and ask for letters to attest to his his character, and I had several to provide. But um, the school board voted to um, expel him, and they said he could come back the following year. But at that time, a lot of schools were um, having suspensions or expulsions. And now we've since learned, and I, I have my master's in education, certainly as a, a teacher, but um, we've learned that we because the brain is developing so quickly between the ages of 14 and 19 that teenagers just make bad choices. They, and they do, don't, yeah. They, and they don't think about the consequences. The right. part of their brain that processes consequences is compromised because of that rapid development. So when we say, what were they thinking? Well, they weren't. <laughs> so uh, it's a, these are unfortunate choices that a lot of kids get caught up in and now I think there's a better understanding well, about I'm glad okay, about that have, yeah. yeah it's still it's still you know there are places it depends where you are but there's more of a restorative you know what? approach John might have also needed um, that marijuana because many people uh, who have any type of um, mental health issue mm-hmm. they they want to go from feeling bad or pain to feeling yeah. good and they yeah. will use all types of substances to do that, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether yeah. whatever. I mean, it, it's still, though, it, I do, I understand the school's position in terms of that it was selling it on school grounds, and that's even though now there are not the, that marijuana is used for, is both recreational, uh, recreational well, available. Well, they could and, have gotten him some counseling, and, and they could exactly. have given him a short break. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I taught, uh, I taught in the uh, city schools of New York, and wow. my, and my, my last class uh, was special needs for which I was not trained, right? Mm-hmm. And the children raised from, uh, ranged from 12 to 17, right? Mm-hmm. And about, they were yeah. a very difficult group to work with. And uh, nobody got expelled for what your son did. These things yeah. were happening all the time. And, right. and <laughs> only one boy I had was taken to a, a, a school because he, he, had, he was in a gang and he had, there were other issues there. So yeah, but I stood up for all of them. And in the by the end of the year, many of them had uh, grown to a level where they were helping each other. Their family lives were terrible, but yeah. but they I, I sort of expressed to them, we can find people who we trust and we feel comfortable with in here, right here in the class, and in friends, and you can make a good life. And it worked. 
Well, yeah, the attitude <laughs> worked. I think we helped some. Let's go on to how can we determine when a young person is at risk? Because many families have this situation going on, and they have no idea what they're dealing with, or they simply want to push it aside because they're afraid. They want to protect their child. Uh, they don't want anyone to find out about it. And how can we work on this? Well, I think things are beginning to change, but um, some of the things that I've learned about are that we need to really normalize the conversation around mental health and treat it as we would a medical condition, as I said earlier. But we we talk to our children about sex and drugs and um, alcohol, and we need to also talk to them about their mental well-being. And, of course, we're not going to say something like, are you thinking about um, taking your life? But... Do you ever think that you're, do you ever feel sad? Do you ever not, right. do you ever feel like you don't want to be here? Do you know that that's okay and that there are people that feel that way? And so just trying to draw them out and having the check-ins, not all the time because you don't want to be annoying, particularly as they become, you know, middle schoolers and high schoolers, but just making it a, a periodic check-in so that they realize that it is a normal conversation and making them aware when other kids are having struggles to talk about that you're feeling, showing empathy for those, those kids. And I realized after John died, his um, so many of his friends came forward, and he was part of this music group in the in the Boston area. And um, so many of them spoke up about their depression after he died. And I had recently a um, Zoom conference with six of his friends, some of whom I had only gotten to know in the last couple of years, and others I didn't know. But they all said that his death allowed them to connect with one another and check in with one another and to open up the conversation about mental health awareness well, because maybe. people do go to great lengths sometimes to hide it by acting like Robin Williams being the clown or the witty one or helping right. others and that's what John did is he helped others and I think that was his purpose here was to, to help others and there was only so much pain he could absorb before it was his time to go. You know many, so, of, may, many of the talented, very talented artists and musicians, writers uh, have this how can I say, sensitive soul. Mm -hmm. It is a soul that finds it hard to deal with the way people behave and the inhumanity and anger and frustration and lower vibrations of other people. They're yeah. sensitive and, and sometimes they do need to talk to people more, be in counseling, have teachers who understand or maybe feel the same way that they do. And, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, yeah, now, there, tell us about the suicide film you watched and what you learned for, about it. Because I found out on Netflix there was a show, and my granddaughter, two, the two young ones, were watching this. And it was a, a quirky tale of a lonely 17-year-old who uh, decides to make a film about his impending suicide for a film class. So why would they make this kind of stuff? I mean... Where is the responsibility of people yeah. in the media? I mean, they want to, I, I, I assume they want to show what good can come out of, you know, doing something like this. But unfortunately, these young minds watching it are not thinking of ways to solve the problem. They're getting more caught up in the problem itself. So right. did, what was the suicide film you watched? So that that was, um, I think it was called My Suicide. I can't quite remember. It was, it was early on after John passed away. But 
I um, it was a strange sort of jarring um, movie. It was an indie film, as they call them, and meant to be a comedy. But there's really nothing comical no. about suicide. And um, this young man decides that he's going to make a film. He just he is very open about it. And I hate my life, but he is, from what I could tell from watching the movie, and on no level suicidal. He's just kind of saying, making a statement that high school and the popular kids they sort of anger him, and he just is tired of their how blasé every day seems. But he really doesn't care about much at all and so it's it's just a sort of a shock value that he decides to do this film called my suicide and that's when they decide okay he needs help and they put him into an institution and they, they sort of make fun of the institutions which that was the one part that did ring true because they they are not effective in in treating mental health as, as um individually as it, they should because each case is different um but at any rate then they they have all the kids that uh, are talking about possibly um, the, the, their thoughts of suicide, and they blame everything on their parents. And certainly, parents and um, marriage situations and divorce, and one parent can be can be um, challenging, a factor, yeah, challenging and a factor that compounds the person who is suicidal. But it is not the reason people take their lives, unless it's um, abuse. And, no, and I, I, I think it's I, I think it's a deep disconnect. Because exactly. their souls may be so developed that this physical world uh, doesn't seem real to them because there's right. something else within them calling. Now, you have in the book Thomas Joyner, author of Why People Die by Suicide, and he writes that a feeling of disconnection, of ineffectiveness, mm -hmm. and perceiving oneself to be a burden on others are factors that, when combined with severe and chronic depression, can lead a person to contemplate or perhaps complete suicide. I'm going to say, yeah, that seems to be this feeling right. of disconnection. We're all feeling that in this world right now. Yes, Many people are not aware that the, we we have a spiritual disconnect from the reality of who we are, and it's not the economic, political, physical, um, um, spiritual. It, not it is spiritual. It, 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 you know, political, medical. The disconnect is because we don't know who we are. And yeah. there are so many sensitive souls who have so much, like your son, to offer the world. And they just couldn't get grounded enough into their physical body or life because their soul was gifted and mm -hmm. bright-eyed and maybe an old soul. So I want to thank you, Margaret Thompson, author of Finding Color in the Darkness, for bringing light and awareness to a painful sadness for many people who are parents yeah. living with a mentally challenged child and the courage to learn, speak out, and help others dealing with the same situation. If truth be told, I doubt that any family is not touched by members who experience some level of mental health challenges. To read an honest exploration of Margaret's son and bipolar illness and to purchase this book, go to margaretthompson.com. Is that correct? No, it's a, uh, Finding Color in the Darkness um on Facebook or on Instagram. Okay, thank you very much. In summarizing today's episode of Healing from Within, Margaret has shared life with a sensitive son who marched to his own rhythm, intelligent and gifted. He was able to sustain the pressures 
and issues of an outside world mindset uh, that is often insensitive to the most severely challenged of our population. Having dealt with this situation in my own family, I know how hard it is to be unable to help this child or a sister or a mother or a father deal with something that causes them so much pain and makes their choices so limited. We can, in the end, only love them and try to support their journey, knowing that they are growing in soul awareness, even though at times it may seem a hopeless or wasted life. Indeed, it is the soul journey they have to experience and, in the end, will be free to live an eternal life. To understand and how best to look at what seems like a tragedy, read what Margaret wrote. I wrote the following response to an angry mother who posted on the Facebook support group that her daughter had been selfish and cowardly. I cannot be angry with my son John because he suffered so much off and on through the years. I caught the end of a report on national public radio about suicide. The speaker said that a person with a suicidal ideology slips into a state of madness and develops a distorted sense of self and others before taking their life. It is neither a selfish act nor a cowardly one. It is a desperate act to end the unbearable pain. People with severe depression who contemplate suicide can barely form words, let alone thoughts, in their, finally day, in their final days. They do truly believe that others will be better off, maybe without them, and the world around them is a blur. My greatest torment is knowing how much pain my son was in, and as his mother I wanted nothing more for him to be happy. And I think that is every parent's desire that we wish that we could suffer for them and that we, you know, that they don't have to have this. So you suggest that she forgive her daughter Mm -hmm. and, and not get this idea that her daughter is selfish or anything else. It is a mental illness and it needs to be treated professionally and lovingly. And Margaret and I would have you remember yourself as a spiritual being of love who at the present time having a physical experience which offers us the chance to self-investigate this short physical life to find beyond the suffering and challenges a way when it is our time to find the way back to eternal life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the relationship becomes intensified when you allow yourself to to believe in their presence that is everlasting and ever with you. Whenever you call for help or assistance, of course, they can't readily provide. <laughs> um, you know, if your car breaks down, they can't make it automatically stop, you know, start. But I know that I get guidance uh, quite frequently and more so than when he was alive because he's, he can be with me at any time. Right. So we want to thank those who have suffered for showing us ways that we can help others to go beyond this suffering, perhaps here in this time and place, and if not, certainly beyond this time and place. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing From Within, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and learn more about the metaphysical, spiritual, physical, and all ways to improve life by our thoughts and actions 
and to find uh, the way forward. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you for listening.